Hello and welcome to the second episode of Brexit Ready, hosted by me, Penny Haslam. The UK has, of course, left the EU now and the transition period has ended, meaning new rules are in place for all businesses based in the UK. With COVID still the most pressing issue for many businesses, devoting time and resource to fully understanding the changes across all areas can be a challenge. This mini-series for the London Business Hub is about helping businesses get to grip with the practicalities of Britain's new trading environment. In each of the episodes of this third series, we'll pair someone running a London-based company with an expert or two who hopefully will be able to answer their questions. Today, we are focusing on the workforce, the people in our businesses who make it all happen. Employees, colleagues, teams, departments all make up a workforce. And there's that odd, old, slightly patronising phrase, isn't there, that people say when something's gone a bit wrong, they go, oh, you can't get the staff, can you? Right. But nowadays, we might just mean it literally. So how different does the workforce look since Brexit? How is it affecting small businesses? And what can we do to tackle the issues it presents? Well, to discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Mike Russell, a business consultant who runs MKR Solutions Limited, Kate Goodman, an HR specialist at her company, Kalida People, and also the HR lead at Brexit for Business, and Duncan Sambrook, founder of SEB Brewing and Packaging. First of all, let's find out a bit more about you. Mike, tell us about your experience with Brexit and the small businesses that you work with. Who are they? Where are they coming from? So thank you, Penny. Yeah, I started working as part of a delivery team, Brexit for Business, in November 2019. The idea was really to help businesses to get themselves ready for Brexit and raise awareness of the issues they were likely to face. Of course, we all know what happened in in March last year, and we switched our focus to COVID-19. But we've come back to Brexit towards the end of last year. And since January this year, I've been working in the Essex region with the Best Growth Hub, delivering their transition Brexit advice service. And I, so I've been dealing with lots of micro businesses, particularly and small SMEs who have been facing challenges, not just around their staff, but primarily around the import export issues that have arisen as well. But we have seen quite a few questions arise around subcontractors and staffing levels and how they can use people and and what's going to happen post-June as well. Kate, and what about you? Yes, thank you. From my own point of view then, I run my own uh, company, as I've said, Kalida People. So I've been working with a lot of companies in terms of preparing for Brexit and certainly through the Brexit for Business programme where we've been offering support. I guess the main thing to mention when it comes to HR really is that it seems like we've been going through Brexit for some time um, because whilst trade has has really remained quite uncertain over the last few months, not really much has changed in terms of the early announcements regarding HR around the EU settlement scheme, etc. So it does feel like we've been going through EU settlement for quite some time. Either you're very organised and you understand what's happening and you've got a plan or you're aware that something's going on, but you've not really joined up the dots yet in terms of how that actually affects you as a business. Thank you, Kate. And Duncan, tell us about your business and briefly, you know, what have you experienced with workforce since the referendum? I just want to quickly say, I think I probably agree with Kate in that you're either ready or you're not. 
the transition period has been quite a long time. We started off trying to have a plan, but the uncertainty led us quickly to the point where we felt that we couldn't develop a plan. And so in the end, we sort of probably came on the underprepared side than the overprepared side. But I don't think that's actually been an issue for us. We run a service provider for the craft drink sector. So that means that we manufacture craft drinks, uh, primarily beer. So we're brewers, but we also package. So we provide canning, bottling, kegging, casking and other forms of package to different craft drinks. Uh, I also run a brewery um, in its own right. And I also run a pub. It's quite interesting to see how the last four years has actually changed in terms of expectations from EU nationals. At the very start of the process, I think there was huge amounts of uncertainty and we had lots and lots of questions from our EU nationals. Many questions actually we couldn't answer. And then as the process unfolded, we came to a position where EU nationals were just taking the decision to go home. So we actually lost uh, a large number of our EU nationals within the first two years after the referendum. Um, it happened over a relatively slow period. And so we were able to adjust over, over that time. Well, any preparation, though anyone would have made, you know, two years ago, three years ago, would have been completely thrown under the bus because of COVID. Have you found that, Kate and Mike, in the businesses that you've accessed and worked with? Yeah, certainly. The I was with a, a printing firm in Colchester just uh, on Friday. Prior to COVID, they were still investing in Italian machinery, um, but they were a business with nine people. Now they're down to just two people and look into um, what the future is going to hold. They primarily service the events industry. So, again, it, it's difficult for them. Uh, and, and another business in the same sector who we, we talked to in Chelmsford actually service Italian clients. And they were bringing workers from Italy to come over and do shop fits and events fits for them. Now they're not going to be able to do that. So they're looking to employ their own teams within the UK. So that's partly because of Brexit and, of course, with COVID as well, heightened that issue for them. And that's it, isn't it? It's like COVID has provided Brexit in terms of workforce, a kind of scenario on steroids, hasn't it? All of a sudden you can't access any workers from Europe, really, because of of the virus. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. I think from my point of view, as I see it, we are dealing with companies that tend to fall into two camps. So you've got those that are trading normally, if if not growing, because we've got to accept some, some industries through COVID have been in growth. Um, and those in growth have been very busy. They've been focused on growing demands. They've been getting to grips with the new trade rules, but they've not necessarily been thinking about the longer term. So whilst everything might be looking quite good for those sorts of companies right now, I think in the longer term, they might start to experience some difficulties. But then if we look at those that have been affected by COVID, especially the hospitality, leisure and retail sectors, I think they're going to struggle, as Duncan said, because many of their traditional employees, if not furloughed, may have returned to their home country. Now, add to that the potential of those with pre-settled status who may have returned to their home country thinking they were going to do that on a temporary basis, who now may fall foul of the six-month in any 12-month window uh, rule, they might, might now find it very difficult to return to the UK for work. I know certainly I've been working with one company in Cambridge, uh, a small, innovative, high-tech, high-growth 
uh, company, 15 employees, all of different nationalities. And we've had to tackle things like an employee that went home to Portugal to visit family when we could travel, who was then locked down in Portugal and couldn't get back. And so we had to deal with some of those things. We have an employee who's now decided to return home to Spain. And now we're having to think about how, as an as a employer in the UK, we now retain somebody on the books who is now going to be a taxable resident in Spain. So and lots of different added challenges, not to mention remote working um, and thinking about remote working, not only from a COVID point of view, but of course, maybe returning to the workplace. But now I think we're moving to a more permanent remote working where even in a small company, the workforce actually could be completely across Europe. Let's talk about the differences for small and medium-sized businesses in terms of their workforce now. What are going to be the main challenges to accessing employees from abroad? Well, certainly from my perspective, it's going to be the issues they're going to have in terms of right to work. Because, of course, you know, some of the challenges you're going to have now is, is not falling foul of the new immigration requirements and those immigration requirements can be really challenging, especially when you would have traditionally brought EU employees over to cover low pay roles. Uh, when we think about the requirements to have a, an earning of more than £25,600 or the equivalent going rate, the challenges a small employer is going to have in terms of thinking about becoming a licensed sponsor to think about how they're going to not only attract people from Europe into the UK, but also then how they're going to be able to manage that around some of those sponsorship license issues that they might find they have. It's almost as if we have to take this sector by sector, don't we? Uh, if we look at, you know, fruit and veg pickers in the fields, it's low skill, low pay. Where are those workers going to come from? And we have saw a lot of that in the news a year ago, didn't we? Uh, when there was the, the, the campaign to get domestic workers into fields, bending their backs and, and doing whatever was necessary uh, to get the food on the table. Yeah, so I, I, I actually live in Tiptree and we're famous for our local jam factory and, and we have a, a community of um, EU workers that live in the village, if you like, that support the, you know, the work that's done by the jam factory and, and they are struggling to maintain that workforce going forward. And, and before Christmas, there was a period of time when they were asking um, furloughed workers to go into the fields and they just didn't want to. Uh, you know, we can't find the workforce in the UK to do those those sort of, that sort of work. So the the farming the farming sector has been massively hit. We also hear a lot, you know, from Paul Kelly, who owns Kelly's Turkeys. I mean, I'm not going to talk for him on here, but you know, he he's made it clear right from the start that he would struggle uh, to maintain that workforce because UK workers just don't want to do the sort of work. Construction industry as well is another one, subcontracted workers who are coming onto their sites and and who has the responsibility to make sure that they comply with UK uh, employment law. Duncan, let's come to you then. You've been growing your business and have needed to recruit over the last couple of years, you know, away from corona. Let's get, get away from that. And you say you've had an interesting few years. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, certainly. The impact for us was probably just after the announcement uh, of the referendum in that the uncertainty with uh, some of our EU nationals meant that they took the decision to go home earlier um, and before Brexit was actually finalised. And at the time that happened, 
we as a board looked at what we had to do as a business. And instead of actually looking at how we recruit better people, um, we actually tr tried to say, can we deliver the same product, the same service in a better way? And so that looks at productivity within our business, but also um, career development and retention. A good example is that uh, we've reached out to our local council. We have uh, attracted three apprentices into our business. Uh, we work with them um, over an 18 month period uh, to get them up to what I would call a semi-skilled level. And our business lends itself quite well to that in that uh, we have um, a low skill en entry level role, which is typically finishing the packaging at the end of the line, inspecting the cans, has the label gone on correctly, uh, sampling, uh, checking that uh, we've got weights and measures compliance, and then indeed that the finished product is, is up to standard and then physically put the, putting them into boxes. So that introduces somebody to the sort of skills that we require within the overall operation. And then over a period of time, those individuals can, with guidance and training, start to develop more skills such as checking on uh, the filling, uh, checking on the actual labeling itself, um, looking at how to operate machinery. And so we can start to operate a really good career development plan for somebody coming out of school and hopefully then get them to a semi-skilled level and then indeed further as, as they progress. Am I hearing, though, Duncan, that you have closed the door on the idea of EU staff ever? Not ever, but um, we've certainly changed our recruitment strategy to trying to recruit what I would call semi-skilled people who already have experience to um, keeping with our core team, remunerating them um, at a sufficiently high level, which means that they want to stay with us, and building a team of apprentices and semi-skilled people to support their roles. Well, that sounds like a, a great approach and one that has helped to engage employees, perhaps, and increase productivity as a byproduct of, of that decision. Um, Mike, you mentioned about, you know, we can't find the workforce, but is it because we just haven't had to before, that we haven't gone around gone around trying to, to grow and encourage people and give them career progression, which is actually really good for the economy, isn't it? Yes, no, definitely. And I think, um, I think certainly in agriculture, there's been a, a change from one workforce to another. And I think it's always been a challenge in agriculture to get a, 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 a sort of a workforce that is consistent. But you're right. I think, um, I think there's a lot of people don't want to do that sort of work. I think hospitality is slightly different in that there's always a ready market or ready availability of university students and other students sort of type population to go and work in, in, in the hospitality sector. But you know, working in agriculture, people just don't want to do it and not prepared to spend the hours. It's backbreaking work and it is hard work and, and they're not prepared to do it. I must admit, when I first started looking at this content for the this information for the podcast, I assumed it was going to be a story of, well, there are some organisations that just can't get any workers, boo-hoo-hoo, right? Terrible, terrible. And there are some that don't need them anymore and that's it and it's all terrible. But actually what you're proving to me is that change is shifting the plates of old models, old ways of thinking and invigorating uh, jobs and the economy maybe. There is a challenge though, isn't there? When you limit your talent pool 
to just your local area. You're limiting the, the skills and talent that come through your door when you could have a whole continent to pick from, to choose from. Yeah, you're right. I, I, do, I work with a guy who is a, is a recruiter. He recruits high-level executives in the manufacturing and engineering sector into the UK. And he's still finding that there's still a lot of ladies and gentlemen who are willing to do that and come across to the UK. It's certainly not shrunk his marketplace. But that's fine because they can meet the criteria quite easily. You know, it's, they're, they're well above the salary levels and the points that are needed to get through. It is the it is the lower skilled areas. But actually, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily because it's making businesses look closer to home and realise there is a lot of talent here. And as I said, the Kickstart programme is throwing up an awful lot of very high quality graduates and people who, you know, really should be able to get into employment quite easily, but have struggled because, you know, the some of the larger corporates have just looked for cheap, cheap and, and you know, let's get it as cheap as possible. So, Duncan, what about you? I know it's early days. Have you been at all disappointed by the skills and talent available to you within arm's reach rather than over the water to the, the, the continent of Europe? Firstly, I've been pleasantly surprised by the number of applicants. Uh, so we too have signed up to the Kickstart scheme, although we just just literally this last month had our first employee on the Kickstart scheme. It's, it's too early to say. What is the general outlook for businesses on this issue? I'd actually say reasonably positive. I think we are coming into a reasonably uncertain uh, six months just because the unwinding of the furlough scheme. And I think it's still a little bit too early to say what the impact on the overall employment will be. But I think both from an employer and an employee perspective, I think everybody should look at this as a a really, really big opportunity, not just myself and my business, but but I know lots of fellow founders and and business owners who are using time over the last year to completely relook at how they do business, how they employ people and how they recruit and retain. And I think this is a great opportunity for businesses to completely rethink how they become more productive, how they have a more employee workforce, uh, whether that's by doing more working from home or um, just creating a better culture. Uh, I really am quite optimistic about the the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Well, I went into Simarco International Limited. They're a large logistics firm. And they were telling me about their apprenticeship scheme because obviously they've been gearing up for Brexit, of course, uh, right at the forefront of that. And they were very proud of their apprenticeship scheme. And, and it's important to see that where you invest in good apprentice, apprenticeship schemes, you get really good apprentices from it. And they, they had very positive experiences as well. So that's, that's all good to hear. So I, I think generally it is positive. There are good people available to businesses. And, and exactly that, that Duncan, what Duncan said, you know, many of us, you know, myself included, have sat down and taken the opportunity to revisit how we do business. Um, and particularly we've seen that with manufacturing um, and, you know, some service industries as well uh, have changed the way they work and the way they deliver what they do so that they can actually meet the demands of the new world that we now face. I think the last few months has been amazing in terms of businesses taking the opportunity to take a long look at themselves and really think about the way that they operate and understanding that we have to make work appealing, whatever that work is. And I think the businesses that want to succeed moving forward, and I'm speaking to a lot of those that are very switched on and focused, are now completely rethinking the way that they 
work with people, the way they organise themselves, the way they structure themselves, and I guess who they are as an employer, really thinking about their brand as an employer. Who are we? What do we want? Who do we want to attract? And how are we going to achieve success? And it can only be through being flexible and innovative in the way that we work with our people. And smaller businesses, SMEs, have a real opportunity, don't they, to to decide those things. It's springtime 2021. Uh, We're, you know, shy of 12 weeks out of Brexit. Um, What are the key things for small businesses to think through in terms of workforce now that it's happened? First of all, you know, when I work with a business... I start talking to them about the efficiencies in their process and making sure that they're actually working, you know, their process to the optimum of their business. And what that actually does, it does challenge the uh, level of employees that they've got potentially. But actually what it really does, it creates space to do more for their business and do more with their business. So my, my challenge to businesses is to look at what you're doing and look at the way you're you're using your workforce and could you use them better so they need to understand what skills their workforce has too many businesses pigeonhole their staff into doing one job one activity and they don't understand or ask them about what else they can bring to the business businesses really need to focus on productivity that works in two ways for me it works so how do you get the most out of your uh, individuals who are working for you but also how you automate things which potentially take some of the manual less enjoyable parts of the role away and just leave with one example you know we've invested quite a lot of money over the last two years particularly in automation uh depalletizers uh conveyor belts um automatic labeling machines each one on their own is probably just a very small part affecting an individual's job satisfaction but put together what we've done is we've created an environment where those individuals are no longer having to do a lot of the really manual, menial tasks and are able to just enjoy their work environment a little bit better and actually feel that they're more productive. And I think if, if businesses just take a little bit more time to look at how they can take away some of the more manual and menial aspects of roles and make their work-life balance with their their staff better then you'll get a massive increase in productivity which will then increase their profitability which is ultimately what we're here to do well thank you all very much for your insight into the challenges and also the solutions to employing workforce and staff after brexit A final word from each of you, though, on what small businesses and medium-sized businesses need to be thinking about right now or green shoots of positivity that you might want to convey. All welcome. Mike, let's hear from you first. Okay, so um, already starting to see some of the the events industry starting to plan things and opening up. So that sector hopefully will, will start to open up but probably won't recover fully until middle of 2022. But I think it's just to remain positive, keep looking forward. And, and, you know, Duncan made the point about understanding your productivity and understanding how that can help your people to, if you improve your productivity through um, automation, etc., how you can actually offer your staff a better working environment. And, and, and I think it's just try and remain positive and, and keep looking forward. I think what we could do is just say, uh, because, of course, we've got the EU settlement scheme, we've got the 30th of June as a key 
kind of deadline day in terms of um, small employers, especially encouraging their workforce to have made their application to the EU settlement scheme. So I think there is a piece here around in the short term, as an employer, what should I be doing tactically? And from a tactical point of view, I would I would recommend that a small employer conducted a people audit, which really was kind of looking at the people they've got in the organisation and where is the potential risk, uh, especially when we think about EU citizens. Um, I think they should be supporting employees to make their application to the EU settlement scheme. And the gov.uk website has got just a raft of information, posters, leaflets. They need to think about whether or not they need to apply for a sponsor licence. So are they going to need to recruit people from the EU moving forward and obviously non-EU as well, because it's all now come under one scheme. And if they do, they need to get that application in because it can take a good two months to get a licence. And if you suddenly find yourself needing somebody and you can't find that skill within the UK, then you don't want to slow down the process by then realising you need to be a sponsor. They do need to be reviewing their policies and their processes to make sure that they're covered from a legal point of view if an employee ceases to retain their right to work. So I would strongly recommend that if they don't already have a relationship, a local HR provider, that you know they are speaking to somebody to get some more advice. And in the longer term, I think it goes to everything that Duncan and Mike has said in terms of creating a more strategic, robust people plan. All of those questions around what skills and talents do I need for the future? Can I grow that internally? How am I going to attract good people into my business? How am I going to reward people holistically, not just in monetary terms? How am I going to be mindful of employee well-being? Uh, how am I going to work more flexibly? So it is that whole piece of, you know, really thinking differently, planning, innovating, and doing the right thing. I think it is a time to be quite positive. We have come through a, a very, very difficult 12 months. And I would say the last three years particularly, we've seen probably the biggest change in recruitment, retention and overall HR than we've probably seen in a generation. So it's a time for business leaders really to think innovatively about the future, how they recruit and how they retain um, and how they provide good career development. I'm pretty positive that if you do that and think about the challenges of the next six to 12 months, you can put in place something which will be a process which will help you to achieve your business goals. And I thought you were just going to advise people to go back down the pub. Well, that too. That's the first place I'm going, that's for sure. OK, well, thank you all so much. My thanks to our guests, Mike Russell at MKR Solutions Limited, Kate Goodman at Kalida People and Duncan Sambrook from SEB Brewing and Packaging. You've been listening to the Brexit Ready podcast for the London Business Hub. If some of the issues raised in our discussion today have got you thinking about what you might need to do next, the London Business Hub is here to help. You can book an appointment with one of their EU specialist advisors who can help you work through the issues that might affect your business. They can also provide free specialist support from employment lawyers and accountants specialising in the new VAT regime and experts on IP just go to businesshub.london. And don't forget to subscribe to the Brexit Ready podcast on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. We'd love it if you left a review. It really makes the podcast easier for others to find. So join me next time to talk more about Brexit 
and its effects on the supply chain with another panel of expert guests. Brexit Ready is a Fresh Air production. I'm Penny Haslam. Thanks for listening.